This episode of You in the Ring is brought to you by Grad House. One of the best kept secrets on campus, the Grad House is for everyone. They offer a range of house-made meals that cater to diverse dietary needs. And with weekly specials, you're sure to find something new every time you visit. Located right off the bus loop of UVic, the Grad House is a great place for lunch, dinner, or just hanging out with your friends. The Grad House. You don't have to be a grad student to eat here. Now, if you're familiar with the campus at the University of Victoria, there is a good chance one image hops to mind. Considered pests to some, but to others, they're part of the landscape. They're even looking at the idea of a cull. Oh, they don't bother me. And it's kind of like a UVic thing. You know, to get rid of them, it would be like, <laughs> like, why? And after a project aimed at reducing the population flopped, the university is now looking at other options to control the population of bunny rabbits. Bunnies. Rabbits. Bunnies. Bunnies. Rabbit lovers. Rabbits. Bunnies. Bunnies. Rabbits. You're listening to You in the Ring on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Broadcasting from the Husanich and Songhees territories of the Sinchothan and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, whose relationship with the land continues to this day. Hello, Amanda. Hi, how's it going? It's good. <laughs> do you know why I brought you here today? Uh, something to do with rabbits, I've heard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, let's just jump right in. How much Hop do you right know? In. Hop right in. Hop right in? Oh, my God. Come on, it's right there. I know. I had no idea what I was, I was in for. And in fact, I have receipts for $26,000 that I transferred into their bank account. Well, it was disgusting all the way through. You know, it was disgusting that somebody should be doing that, but it was disgusting that we were running stories on it. And I'm sure I wasn't very popular just because of the leafleting. She was begging them to let the baby go. Uh, we discovered that um, something like 67 rabbits will fit in a Dodge caravan. Heartless people, both the trappers, and the university, I blame them entirely. I'm trying not to say everybody was a little bit nuts, but everybody was a little bit nuts about the whole thing, I think. It's like, what am I thinking? <laughs> so, just to give you a brief kind of rundown of their origin story. In the 80s, in Victoria, people started coming to campus and just abandoning their pet rabbits. So, like, these aren't kind of wildlife rabbits. These are big, like, fluffy bunnies. They're different colors. Some of them are spotted. Some of them are black. Some of them are white. Some of them are both. And this just kind of continued for the next, like, 30 years. Was there a specific, like, species of su or subspecies of rabbit? Or do we know what this is? It just, like, the, the domesticated there, rabbit? I think it's, like... A European rabbit. It is like okay. an invasive species. Like everything in Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> and like everything in Victoria, like they had no natural predators. There, Of course, there are like birds. Yeah. I remember I had one professor who said how they all started out primarily white, but mm -hmm. then due to some serious natural selection Darwinism, um, the owls could easily pick out all the white ones at night because they were much like against the grass and in, in the dark. And then they slowly turned into, like, more browns and grays and spottedness. That's so interesting, the white hair. Yeah, I think over maybe 30 years got bred out a little bit more. But, yeah, like, just this whole time people just keep bringing their rabbits to campus. And then eventually the university kind of starts to take notice because <laughs> while the rabbits were cute and stuff, they started just burrowing like rabbits do, digging holes. 
And then they started burrowing under certain university buildings, like huge tunnels. I think it was either under the David Turpin building or under McLaurin. But yeah, they're just like really damaging the infrastructure. (laughs) And then on top of that, they're just rabbit feces everywhere. Yeah. And then on top of that, on top of, they're also eating all the plants because they like leafy greens. And Uvic has a very luscious campus. Mm. So whereas groundkeepers might not have had to cut the grass as often, like they were also destroying like the native plant life. And so Uvic kind of draws the line and they start trying to protect the plant life. So in August of 2006, they spend $10,000 on a fence to put it around Finnerty Gardens. Oh. And which is why that fence is there now. Oh, my God. That's, whoa. It was to protect it from the rabbits. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they're already kind of crossing Ring Road at this point. Yeah. And this is in 2006. At this point, they think the rabbit population is around 1,000. Mm. But there's no way to know for sure, right? They're just, like, doing guess based on areas and then multiplying that based on how big the university campus is. And then 2007 comes along. And UVic announces that they're forming a rabbit task force. Oh, boy. (laughs) And the task force is to deal with the complaints that they're getting from the neighbors. And it's not really ever explained what the task force is. It's just kind of like those, like, broad, like, university media press releases where they're like, we know there's a problem. We're going to deal with it. But we're not going to tell you how. (laughs) So, like, the Mount Tolmy area... People are, like, waking up in the morning and they're just seeing rabbits, like, in their backyard and in their gardens and just, like, eating everything. So now it's, like, more than just a university problem. Now it's, like, spreading out and people are, like, getting really fed up. They're, like, yes, they're cute, but, like, they're also destroying our way of life. Well, at the same time, the students and everyone who doesn't live near the university are, like, they're so cute. Like, but people who have been living with the rabbits for, you know, the last 30 years are just, like, so over it. So that's in September of 2007. In March 2008, this is the first rabbit controversy. Oh, boy. So there's a a newsletter that gets published every month called Essence, Mm. and it's from the Environmental Students Association. And a master's student by the name of Abe Lloyd publishes a little essay called Cook Up a Pot of Rabbit Restoration Stew. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the essay basically describes how to trap and kill a rabbit with your own hands on campus. And it describes how you're supposed to kill the rabbit. And it says, whack the back of its head hard against the ground, killing it instantly. And the essay kind of sparks outrage. And by kind of, I mean a lot. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) So there's this journalist from the Times Colonist. Her name is Judith Lavoie. I'm now a freelance reporter. I retired from the Times Colonist about four or five years ago. Um, and uh, when the rabbit controversy came came up at the university, I was the environment reporter. And so it was decided that definitely rabbits were environment somehow. And so she publishes an article about it. And in the article, she's not really saying that she agrees with this. She's just stating the facts like a journalist does. Like, this is what happened. This is who said it. Oh, okay. So she's just responding to it. Yeah. 
It's She's so, just reporting it. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so hard with the environmental side of things. Like, people don't realize the messy parts about the environmental side of things mm. and resources and stuff. It's, yeah. Rabbits, too, could be one of those messy issues. Yeah, and the <laughs> essay is, like, trying to take this angle where it's, like, it's okay to, like, kill all these rabbits because there's so many of them and they're causing so much problems. So, like, why not benefit from, like, their declining numbers? So it's like kind of like a win-win. You get an awesome meal out of it, and you help the university. Yeah, but the people mo- mostly don't want to see how the uh, sausage is made or I how the, kid, the rabbit is killed. Or... Yeah, and this is what causes outrage. Like, people start responding to the newspaper article, and they just fill, like, the letters to the editor page. A lot of them had to be weeded out because a lot of them were calling us names or calling the university things or calling the rabbit activists names that really it was, as I say, so inflamed that you couldn't run most of them. But it certainly kept the letters to the editor page going for a long time. Just so much outrage. People are like very, very angry that Judith has published the story. So just that she's responding to it even? Just that she's reporting it. Yeah. Yeah. She's just saying this happened. Everyone's like, how dare you? Yes. The reaction to that was, you know, well, it was disgusting all the way through. You know, it was disgusting that somebody should be doing that, but it was disgusting that we were running stories on it and, um, you know, we were just encouraging other people to go out and do it. I don't know if that's entirely true, but, but anyway, yes, it, it that got us right into the middle of the whole thing. So that was in March of 2008. Flash forward to September. Okay. This is when UVic starts publicly addressing the problem. They don't say they're going to make a task force more. Now they're releasing a public awareness campaign. Hmm. As if the the rabbits weren't, we weren't aware enough. (laughs) I know, right? They're just like, hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but we've got a lot of rabbits. (laughs) So the press release states that, like, the rabbits are causing a lot of issues. They're stating that it's, uh, they're burrowing into sports fields. They've injured athletes. I remember hearing about that. that. That that was one of the big kind of like instigators to mm. doing something because it injured like a varsity athlete or something. Yeah, a rugby player. Yeah. Um, it also has an impact on human health because like the sanitation aspect. And then they're also talking about plants and and like property damage. Here's Judith. The rabbits had literally undermined some of the buildings. So there were just so many of them. This is not your ordinary rabbit hole. There were sort of big, almost caves under some of the buildings. So you could see that this was going to be a really expensive uh, prospect to try and get things back. But at this point, they're like, this is a community problem because these aren't our rabbits. They were forced upon us. So, therefore, this demands a community solution. Tragedy of the commons. Yeah, looking back at this and the public awareness campaign, that was in 2008. I mean, that's way back. And, yes, they really did try and, as I said, they were trying to change people's view of how to deal with this. But um, And even trying to count the rabbits was impossible. And of course, one of the problems was anybody who was trying to get rid of their pet rabbit thought, hey, oh, God, there's lots more up there. We might as well go and drop them there. Basically, what they're trying to say is just stop thinking of these rabbits as like playful things. So in the public awareness statement, they're saying, stop feeding the rabbits. Stop, stop talking to the rabbits. 
stop trying to pick up the rabbits and don't even look at the rabbits. Like, just pretend they're not there. And I want to show you a video of what feeding the rabbits looks like. I love this song, by the way. I've used it in many videos. Wow, okay, so there's a girl. She's sitting on the ground and she's just got a bag, bread, maybe, snacks, carrots, vegetables, and they're, they're just all over her. They're how all many, over her. How many are there, do you like think? Like 15, 20? Oh my God. Wow, that just looks so cheery. Like, how right? do you say no to that, though? That's like those videos where people just have puppies crawling all over them or kittens, and it's... Uh. <laughs> right? And I think this is, like, where the divide is, because there are, there are students who interact with them when they want to, but then there's the university who has to deal with them every day. Here's Judith. There are all the students on the grass. They're having lunch, and all the rabbits are crowding around them. Now, even that is not the greatest scenario because a the rabbits are being fed everything from hot dogs to popcorn (laughs) not really good rabbit diet but also all over the grass were just sort of piles of feces there were rabbit droppings everywhere and so you said yeah okay I, i can see that this this would be a problem so they're just like stop dumping rabbits on us and they're just kind of trying to twist the public perception so that they're not sympathizing with the rabbits, that they're sympathizing with the university. Mm. I think it's pretty smart. Totally. Well, like, even if students brought the rabbits in the first place, like, why is that necessarily the university administration's job to do something? Right. Like, what about Sandwich? What about yeah. individual community members? Or, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And at this point, it's like, Rabbits are crossing the road. They're causing car accidents. Like cyclists have to swerve out of the way to avoid them. Oh my god! Like <laughs> you didn't consider that. There's like, like... there's like roadkill. Well, bump. <laughs> yeah. So it is a huge thing, and people who only have to see them as an attraction are very pro rabbit, and the yeah. people who have to deal with them on a day to day basis are very anti rabbit. The public awareness campaign is trying to. Just, like, create this narrative where it's, like, like while you might just, like, enjoy them day by day, they're here every day and you should know, like, there are consequences for them. That's in September 5th of 2008. The very next day, Judith Lavoy, she's just, like, on this beach. She has to cover all the rabbit stories. Really, for some of the time, I mean, it was just a matter of almost sitting back and going into the office in the morning and wondering what rabbit story was going to happen today. Because, you know, you... You could get on with the other stories, but by this time, it was way too much fun not to do a rabbit story. So she releases an article about the media release, and in it, she just states that Uvic believes the rabbits are dangerous and might have diseases. She just she's just quoting the media release, and then like more backlash. <laughs> and really, at that point, a lot of it was yeah. You know, I'd be taking phone calls and saying, "Look, I I'm just." reporting the news. I don't say that the rabbits are dangerous, really, but um, I don't quite know what it says about... Victoria is a community that gets very involved, and of course, uh, the university is so central that everybody had seen these rabbits that... um, Yeah, but I I wonder whether this would have happened in any other community. So the university is quickly, like, learning that no matter what they do, people are going to be very pro-rabbit and very anti-rabbit. I think at first this had taken them 
completely by surprise. They weren't they weren't expecting this kind of reaction from people. Uh, I think they knew it was going to be vaguely controversial, but they didn't realize it was going to go quite over the top like this. It's really interesting to see how the university navigates this intersection of rabbit lovers and rabbit haters. So that was in September of 2008. A year later, UVic is ready to start addressing the problem. So before, they were just very all about educating the public. Like, rabbits are bad. This is why. Please stop feeding the rabbits. Give us some slack. Now they're like, rabbits are a problem, and we have to stop them. Yeah. So they're announcing that they're looking for community assistance in dealing with the rabbits. And what this means is that they're not going to do anything on their own. They are saying that you come to us with your rabbit plan, and if we like it, we'll go through with it. Which is, like, again, pretty smart and pretty savvy. Crowdsourcing, kind of, like. Yeah. (laughs) Very hands-off and kind of laissez-faire. This is kind of foreshadowing how the university will continue to deal with the program. So they're very, like, it's on you to solve this problem, and if you don't, we'll have to think of other ways of dealing with it. And that's just kind of leading up to the fact that they may have to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> but they never say it. They're never like, they're yeah. never like, do this, like it's on you, or we kill them. They always say, help us help you. Help the rabbits. Help the rabbits, yeah. What, where, when is this again? 2001? 2009. 2009, okay. So in like the press release, there's this man named Richard Piscor. He says, We accept that there will always be some rabbits on campus, but we want to establish rabbit-free zones in the athletic fields, the Gary Oak Meadows, and the Nerdy Gardens. We will only consider lethal means of controlling the rabbits if other reasonable options have been explored and found to be ineffective. Interesting. Use of reasonable is always interesting in press releases or or lethal action. Mm -hmm. Reasonable amount of force or reasonable something. But it's just interesting because in this statement he said that, you know, he's like putting people's minds at ease. Like there's always going to be rabbits on campus, just not this many. And so rabbit activists start coming out and basically they're applauding the university for like taking such a good – and humane approach to the problem. Did you say rabbit activists? Rabbit activists. Oh, Amanda, you were going to meet some amazing rabbit activists. After the break, we meet the rabbit activists. This episode of You in the Ring is brought to you by The Grad House. One of the best-kept secrets on campus, the Grad House is for everyone. They offer a range of house-made meals that cater to diverse dietary needs. And with weekly specials, you are sure to find something new every time you visit. Located right off the bus loop, the Grad House is a great place for lunch, dinner, or just hanging out with friends. The Grad House. You don't have to be a grad student to eat here. If you're going to kill a bunch of innocent rabbits, um, it's step in and try and prevent that. So that's what I did. This is Laura Lee Shaw. She's one of the more prominent activists who got involved in the UVic rabbit saga. 
she's so passionate about animal rescue. She told me this story about how she heard that a hundred-year-old Nova Scotian lobster named Dee Dee was going to be auctioned off to be cooked. And I was so upset by that story that I stayed up all night phoning Nova Scotia, found out where the lobster was, what could be done, and ultimately got the lobster sprung and oh, nice. saved from being killed. And this is Sorrell. My name is Sorrell Seidman. I'm a former journalist and ended up being a rabbit rescuer. Another activist who got involved with the Uvic bunnies. That is what I'm known for now. And she actually has a history of saving rabbits. The first rabbit she ever saved was from a couple of homeless kids in Vancouver. The rabbit was on this chain. That probably weighed more than she did. And apparently this rabbit was just covered in pigeon droppings and was so close to being hit by oncoming traffic. So I offered them uh, 40 bucks and took the rabbit. So that's the level of dedication we're looking at. The people that have time to do things in this world, <laughs> the problems that are so focused <laughs> on. So there's this woman named Carmina Gooch, and she declined to comment on the story. But she's president of the Rabbit Advocacy Group of British Columbia, hmm. also known as RAGBC. Sick. Um, so yeah, she's just saying, go University of Victoria for doing this, because... A few years ago, the city of Kelowna in uh, BC's southern interior did a way worse job of controlling the rabbit, rabbit population. They just basically came in and, like, shot all the rabbits. That's so funny. I'm from Kelowna. Do you know I, about that? Yeah, that was wild. And I, I, I don't remember hearing a lot about the actual methods. I think I was younger and I didn't really, like, pay attention. But I, they were there and then suddenly they were gone. <laughs> right? Gone. Yeah. And that's how it always seemed to happen up until this point. Like, rabbits are a problem everywhere because they just can repopulate so quickly. So yeah, at this point, Uvic's the good person. Rabbit activists are like, good job, Uvic. We support you. At the end of the year in December, they the university announces that they've chosen someone to for the community project on how to deal with it. And they're calling it a pilot project. And Uvic has chosen this organization called Common Ground, as like the sole successful applicant for the proposal request. And under the agreement, they say that Common Ground is going to test non-lethal approaches and they have to remove at least 150 rabbits from very specific areas, the athletic fields. And part of the removal is that they have to capture the rabbits alive, remove them from campus, sterilize them, and then relocate them to a new home. Oh, wow. So it's a kind of a tall order, and they have around three months to do this. Every time I'm trying to imagine people capturing rabbits or something, I'm just imagining, like, from Wallace and Gromit, like, the curse of the were-rabbit. Yeah, just Wallace and Gromit's constantly in the background of my mind. This, this whole thing story. could be, like, yeah, a claymation. So, yeah, that's agreed upon. They have until February to do this. Um, mm. And this is where we meet the main player, of this whole rabbit saga. Ooh. Her name is Susan Vickery. Susan Vickery is part of an organization called EARS, Earth Animal Rights. Hmm. And she's kind of spearheading this operation to safely remove the rabbits from campus. But this requires a lot because it's very expensive to remove rabbits from the campus in a humane way. And the pilot project ends up costing 
around $18,000. And where's that coming from? The university's paying for it. Wow. The project ends, and they are only able to catch 51 rabbits. <laughs> and of those 51 rabbits, only 10 are relocated. Uh, what? Were they were they uh, sterilized? Yeah, they were all sterilized, but only ten were able to find homes. It's, oh, like domestic homes. They weren't like just chucking the mech out in the wild somewhere. Yeah, so ten were taken off campus and were put in different places. But yeah, they release forty rabbits back on campus that are sterilized. Why would they release them at that point? Because they didn't have anywhere to put them. Oh, my God. And the logistics only... of this is just painful. And that's what's really hard to wrap your head around is yeah. that you think it's you think it would be so easy to trap rabbits and then find a home for them. Take them somewhere. But... Like you think there would be some kind of bunny sanctuary. But the logistics of it is so complicated and it just boils down to bureaucracy. Money. Follow the money or lack thereof. Yeah, because – you have to pay to get them neutered or sterilized or spayed. Um, and then you have to be able to find a place that is actually able to house them. And then once they get there, you have to pay for food and water. And there's medical bills. Then the rabbits get sick. Yeah. And wow. so these rabbits are just racking up such a huge bill for the university <laughs> that the university says it's a failure. The pet pilot project has failed. So in a press release, they're just like, the project demonstrated the complexities involving managing wildlife, and they're going to have to rediscuss and refigure out their long-term plans. And at this point, everyone's like, oh, God. Here All the go. rabbit activists are starting to get very nervous because they feel the university is going to start killing rabbits soon. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the trajectory was pretty clear from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Starting with the stew, I mean. Yeah. So this is now end of March 2010 when the press release comes out saying that the project has failed. And uh, in May of that very same year, May 2010, UVic starts a lethal cull of the rabbits. Dun, dun, dun. Florally. And they call it a cull, but it's killing. Mm -hmm. You're taking a living being and you're ending its life prematurely often in a very stressful way to the animal. And now Carmina Gooch, who I mentioned before, who is very pro-UVic, speaks out against the university. Yeah. She calls the cull archaic and also questions the morality of the university because they've started the cull in May, so exams are over, so the students aren't there anymore. And the students were one of the main people who didn't want the rabbits to be gone. Laura Lee again. No. Disgusted. I'm still disgusted with them. And I'm so disappointed that our tax dollars went to pay to kill innocent animals when other solutions were there for them. And so by like the next week, like May 15th, Tom Smith, who is the executive director of UVic Facilities Management, he says that they've killed 100 rabbits already. Wow. Yeah. And it's not really sure, like, when the killing started, but the killing is done legally. They have permits from the Ministry of Environment. It's through euthanizing. It's not euthanizing. It's killing. So they're, like, injecting the rabbits, and then they're just kind of 
passing away gently into the night or a day whenever the injection happens. (laughs) (laughs) And four days later, Judith Lavoie again makes an article. And she's calling Patty Pitts, who does communications for UVic, about the story. And she's like, Patty, it's a rabbit. And it would just be, oh, (laughs) no, no more rabbit stories. He said, well, can't ignore it. You know, now we really have to figure out what's happening. We have to just carry on with the stories. And this article is just showing how the rabbit activists are getting way more involved. Mm. Now the activists are starting to show up on campus. Mm. And they're starting to mess with the traps. Laura Lee. Means to go follow the trappers and, you know, be as disruptive as possible to get the rabbits freed. But one night they were there. I think Tom Smith was there. And they trapped a baby, a little innocent baby. And this went because even now, that Kathleen, who was working with our group, and she was begging them to let the baby go. And they wouldn't. They killed it. Wow. Well, they were just heartless, heartless people, both the trappers and the university. I blame them entirely for all the misery they brought on those poor animals. We're flashing forward to the end of the month. It's still May. May was a crazy month for the university. Here's Judith. I don't know how to explain why... People seem to go completely off their rockers on something like this. I don't know if it's because it's such an emotional issue for somebody who rescues rabbits or whether it's whether it just attracts people who are slightly on the edge anyway. The university finally releases a, a press release saying that UVic has, with a great deal of reluctance, had to move to a limited cull of the rabbits in the vicinity of playing fields in order to address acute health and safety issues and remove the risk of a catastrophic injury resulting from stepping in rabbit holes for university and community users of the playing field. It also announces that it's going to announce its long-term plan at the end of next month. So right now, the university is just killing rabbits, and... There's really no plan in place that the public is aware. It's just kind of... Trying to keep their head above water. And then at the end of next month, they do announce the long-term plan. And the long-term plan is so wacky and unrealistic. I don't know how they agreed to release this and if they, at the time, thought that it would help them and kind of take the pressure off. So the plan is... The University of Victoria is in this ring. It's called Ring Road. They're saying that every area outside of Ring Road is going to be designated a rabbit-free zone. Wow. And a rabbit-free zone means, just what it says, there will be no rabbits there. So they're killing all the rabbits outside of Ring Road, which is like, makes sense because that's where Mount Tolmy and all these areas, these neighborhoods are, that have been complaining about it at this point for like two years at least. Mm. And then they say on the inside of Ring Road, they're going to create four quadrants called rabbit control zones. And in each rabbit control zone, there will be a population of 50 rabbits. How? 
Right? Yeah. That's the thing. Who's They're, telling the rabbits this? I know. Are the rabbits, they all signed the, the document. Yeah, They're okay. all contracted. I wonder who's the advocate for the rabbit who's been in discussions with the administration of UVic. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so the university is just, like, drawing these imaginary lines. Judith. And how are you going to keep the rabbits in one quadrant? I mean, rabbits are... Rabbits go where rabbits want to go. And, I mean, there is really no way. If you're going to try and go rabbit-free, you have to go rabbit-free. You can't just have the odd rabbits hopping around. And, I mean, even spay-neutering, it, it's almost impossible because then there were there were rabbits that were having babies underground. You had no idea which ones had been spayed or neutered. You know, that, that was not the most sensible idea. And rabbits... Travel. <laughs> There's no fences. It's just there'll be 50 rabbits in four sectors for a total of 200 rabbits on campus. And each section can only have 50 rabbits. So if the rabbits like move from one area to the other, they get killed. Yeah. So it's like so weird to think about the logistics of controlling these populations. Yeah. Feels like the beginning of the Hunger Games when all the districts get separated. <laughs> You're like, you can't move districts. You're in this one. <laughs> so this plan is so weird. Looks good on paper, maybe. It looks good on paper, and I'm sure it kind of eases the mind of students who are like, oh, good, there's still going to be rabbits on campus, just not as many. I think the students were just like very... Just ignorant? passively pro-rabbit. They're like, yeah, the rabbits are awesome. And like, why yeah. would you get rid of them? But then again, they didn't see like the big picture the way like the university or the neighborhood did. If you like, if you read the plan, they're saying that the plan introduces the option to incorporate trap, sterilize, and release. And that UVic will entertain proposals from public and on-campus volunteers for assistance with the rabbit control zone, and the establishment of feeding stations. Feeding stations? Yeah. So it's so strange because, A, they're not going to sterilize any of the rabbits, so they're just going to keep repopulating the 50 rabbits in each quadrant. Yeah. And B, they're still saying that, like, we still need your help to control these rabbit zones. Yeah, holy moly. Okay. So it's such like... It's drawing some big lines, big boundaries. This is so weird because, like, they announced this plan, but this plan has no plan other than just to kill rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, God, that's so there's strange. N- like, it's called the long-term plan, but it's really just, like, very short-sighted. And at this point, they've killed 104 rabbits. Wow, 104. Those are really good numbers. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Do you really? They had such good numbers on this? And like like, rabbit activists get way more involved. They start coming over from from Vancouver. They start handing out flyers to bus drivers to give to tourists to like spread the information about the rabbits. Because at this point, most of the people in Victoria are pretty okay with rabbits like leaving. It's mostly rabbit activists from in Victoria. And in, like, the greater, like, Vancouver area, who are, like, getting really riled up about this. But they start coming over (laughs) to the island. We were lobbying everywhere we could. Laura Lee is one of the activists who was handing out flyers to tourists downtown. So I printed up 5,000 flyers, and volunteers went out to the tourist areas 
What do the flyers say? And the flyers had the information on what the university was planning on doing with the rabbits. And it had on the back there was contact information for the uh, appropriate government offices. Mm-hmm. So the general population in Victoria wasn't that sympathetic, but the tourists were aghast. And right. they would, but they would say to us, um, "Well, it doesn't matter. We don't live here." Right. And I said, "It does matter because tourist dollars matter. And if the government sees that they are pissing off the tourists, they'll do something about it." And then the bus drivers started taking handfuls of pamphlets. And when they'd do their tours through the city and university, they'd actually point out the rabbits and say, these are the rabbits the university plans on killing. Here's a flyer. Please contact the people on the back and tell them if you are opposed to that. And they did. They put up a lot of pressure on the university. And the university was just hoping to kind of like, you know, like kill a few rabbits and then have everything go back to normal. But... That's not the case. So Tom Smith, who is your member, is kind of the head honcho for the university for the rabbit plan. He goes on a a radio talk show in Vancouver in early July and says that they're going to hold off on killing rabbits until the end of July. And again, they're saying, like, if you have a plan, bring it to us. Otherwise, we're going to start killing the rabbits again. Yeah. And this is where this another big player kind of comes into effect. Mm. Um, Her name is Rosalind Castles. And Rosalind Castles is this very experienced, very hands-on animal rescue activist. And she goes straight to the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Oh, my goodness. So she submits an application. And in the application, she's basically saying that I seek to order the halt of the killing of rabbits on the University of Victoria because it's been going on for 30 years and they haven't done anything about it until now. Hmm. And I demand a period of two years to be able to adequately find funds, volunteers, and doctors to properly relocate the rabbits. Wow. And she submits this application on July 20th. 2010? 2010. Wow, that all moved really fast. A lot happened in that summer. Mm-hmm. And then July 28th, Rosalind Castles writes to the BC Minister of the Environment saying that they need permits ASAP because it's almost the end of the month. Tom Smith is going to start killing rabbits again. Mm-hmm. And the only thing holding them up at this point is the permits. Just a quick note on these permits. They are so complicated. You need them because there are all these laws surrounding rescuing certain types of wildlife, which Sorel can explain. If somebody releases a little fluffy, as soon as little fluffy's feet hit the ground, fluffy becomes wildlife. And in order to pick fluffy back up, you need a permit. But the provincial government did not want to issue permits because they thought that all of the fluffies in the world should just be euthanized. During the month of July, they've raised 70 grand. Yeah. And that this organization called Fur Bear Defenders has donated 50 grand for what? spaying and neutering the rabbits. Where is this money coming from? It's just these like nonprofit organizations. 
So and also this is exa- this is getting to be exactly like Wallace and Gromit because you have Tom Smith who's there with the like big gun, and then you have what's his face Wallace with his little rabbit relocator thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. I love it. <laughs> this is Judith. The, the rabbits nearly drove him crazy. Poor Tom Smith. And I think one of the funnier times is driving up to his office and right outside his office, and there were about a dozen rabbits just hopping around, just sort of looking at the door. And I thought, this is perfect. <laughs> Poor man just walks out of his door and there are the rabbits. So, yeah, they have all the money ready to go. They're still just like waiting back to hear from the Ministry of Environment. So Castle files something called an ex parte application with the BC Supreme Court. And basically, it's an application that she can do on her own. She doesn't have to have the other um, other party present, which in this case is the university. She files the say and like, listen, like we can save these rabbits, but I need like a bit more time. So the judge grants her a temporary injunction that she gives the university immediately, meaning that the university can't kill rabbits or trap them until the judge lifts the injunction. Oh, my goodness. So for all of August, it's just people scrambling to get find ways to get these rabbits off campus. And slowly, the Ministry of Environment approves permits. So the first wave of permits come in and says that 400 rabbits can be relocated to Coombs and 1,000 can be relocated to Texas. Sure, yeah, those places sound normal. <laughs> right? And... What? <laughs> Why Texas? That's the thing. That's that's one of the rumors that I remember hearing about. We're like, yeah, they moved them to Texas. You're like, what? Yeah. Why? How? And so <laughs> those are all good questions. <laughs> and the person who can probably best explain this is Laura Lee Shaw. We were instructed to take them for spay and neuter. They were given about a five or seven day window to recover, and they had to be out of the country. The government wouldn't let us keep them in B.C., save except for a group that went up to Coombs. And we could have found places in B.C., you know, and we've got contacts in B.C. That could have happened, but that wasn't on the table at all. Uh, They could go into the States, and because rabbits can't carry rabies, uh, the Americans have no restriction on the importation of rabbits. You can send as many as you want down there, same oh. with chickens and a variety of animals. So we planned on them going down, found a place in Texas that would take them. She's spearheading the Texas relocation. Meanwhile, Sorrell Sedman, who's sending 75 rabbits to Washington State. That was actually, that's actually a really key point to all this as well. There was three permits issued. One to me, one to Laura Lee Shaw, and one to Susan Vickery. Susan mm-hmm. Vickery was the main player in all of this. Yeah. But um, she was allowed to keep the rabbits at a sanctuary on Vancouver Island. But that was an anomaly. But everybody else who was taking rabbits had to export them to the States. Yeah, that why is part that? Part of the... They didn't want the problem here, and they didn't want the problem to go to their Canadian neighbors. So the alternative was crossing the border to the States and pretty much dumping these poor rabbit corn people down there. They went to Washington, too? Sure, yeah. It was right there, I guess so. And then there's Susan Vickery, who's having 600 rabbits sent to Coombs. 
Meanwhile, the court decides to lift the injunction at the end of the month. Basically, now the university has so much pressure on it to not kill rabbits because the activists have all the money in place. They have all the permits to go now. They just need to take the time to slowly but surely remove the rabbits from university. So starting September, activists start driving over in minivans just full of cat carriers. Sorel again. Uh, we discovered that um, something like 67 rabbits will fit in a Dodge caravan. Oh, yeah. And they just start loading up rabbits. <laughs> but it's so stressful for the activists because Tom Smith is under pressure from the university to get these rabbits off campus because now the students are back. Mm. And now they're like, once again, like, not only in the public eye in terms of media, but also all the students and faculty are seeing what's happening now. So what Tom Smith does is he'll call the activists a day ahead to be like, you got to come pick up these rabbits tomorrow. Otherwise, I'm going to have to kill them. Because once they're trapped, they have to be relocated within a day. Hmm. I guess it's not humane otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Here's Laura Lee again. What an Yeah. How dare you? You know, like, at least, say to the groups, okay, we've got this many that appear to be coming in in the next 24 hours. Who can take them? I mean, let's work cooperatively. Let's not try. And I felt often like they were trying to break us. You know, they may have had groups that they wanted to work with and didn't want to work with. I'm sure I wasn't very popular just because of the leafleting, but it just felt like it was an assault on you know, how can, how can we make this as difficult as possible? And let's do it. Sorrel. That was another issue that we had with the university, is that they required a, a tracker under their own uh, under their own auspices. They would not allow the rescues to trap the rabbits. So we had to to uh, rent a vehicle and drive over to. Music and the trappers would hand us the rabbits and we would put them in the vehicle and drive them back to Vancouver. So they're t- so these activists were trying to come and bring them back to Vancouver? Yeah. To just hang on to them, to keep them safe? Yeah. <laughs> they're bringing them back to Vancouver so that they can start the neutering process. Oh, yeah. Because part of the permits agreement of the permit is that in order to be relocated to a sanctuary, they have to all be spayed or neutered. And so these rabbit activists are just scrambling over in their caravans, just loading up and going back. But it's so bonkers because in order to drive like 100 rabbits through Vancouver Island, you have to get approval from every different municipality. To just drive through? Sorrel again. The process to get the permit required every municipality that we drove through to sign off on a letter saying that we were allowed to transport these rabbits through their territory. It was so officious. So, and then we had every, everybody who had volunteered to help drive also had to be listed on the permit. Oh my gosh. Uh, the vets had to just jump through hoops to 
be able to take in the rabbits, spay and neuter them, and house them. Once we had to transfer the rabbits to another location after they were spayed and neutered, that also required a process that had to be part of this permit with, with wherever the rabbits were going had to had to be on the permit and, and approved by the ministry. It was absolutely insane. If you look at a map, there are many, many districts between the university and the ferry. Yeah. There's like Saanich, there's North Saanich, there's Central Saanich, there's Saanichton, there's Sydney. Basically, we drive to the campus and um, the trapper, uh, uh, actually a nice gentleman named Sean, would hand us all of the rabbits in his wire traps and we would take them out of the wire traps and put them into carriers. We just used small cat carriers and we found that putting multiple rabbits in, in each carrier, there had to be at least two rabbits in each carrier, made the rabbits calmer. I guess they figured, well, you're still alive, so I guess you know things might be okay here. So we'd uh, set the carriers uh, up and uh, and secure them, uh, and off off we'd go directly to the vet. So right. we were finding different places where we could keep them temporarily. I'm not sure if we were telling the the government that because that would have meant changing our permit. These rabbits are in these giant barns, waiting to be neutered. I used to do uh, publicity work for the um, Pacific National Exhibition, the P and E. So I gave them, gave my friends there a call and said, well, what are you doing with um, all that barn space on the off season? <laughs> and can we bring, you know, a couple hundred rabbits over? <laughs> and they stay in these barns for like a while until they finally start being relocated because the process, again, is all on these like activists. Yeah. Laura Lee Shaw takes out a line of credit for like $20,000 in order to pay for, like, the relocation fees. Oh, my goodness. There were a lot of emotions Yeah. over that time period. And it wasn't easy. No, I... For yeah. anyone in it. You know, and then, of course, you get all the personalities in rescue where some of the people are just totally nuts. Wow. The heart. I'm really impressed by the heart at the people in the story. Yeah, they're like, so dedicated. So dedicated. Are there people that dedicated to homeless in our city? I don't know. <laughs> no. I don't think so. Sorrel. I think it's just that rabbit people are particularly passionate. They have an affinity to the under underdog. And in this case, the underdog is a rabbit. They're the most vulnerable of the animals that are in need of, of rescue. So they, they tend to attract a pretty emotional crowd uh, who, who really want to help them. And uh, they're just very sensitive. And some of them are really not very people-friendly. They prefer animals. And it just leads to... Uh, a, a fairly combative and toxic situation all around. And that's kind of the thing, too, is that uh. these rabid activists or just animal rescuers, they care so much about animals, and I think they kind of hate humans. Just based on talking to a few of them, 
I think they didn't like how the different activists would get attention in the media. They all kind of say that this is about the rabbits, but then one by one, they all kind of get their own news story. Mm. Like Laura Lee Shaw gets a lot of media attention because she's the woman who's sending up to a thousand rabbits to Texas. Yeah. So I think it was kind of competitive in that sense where you have Laura Lee Shaw who's trying to raise money for her Texas rabbits. And then you have Sorrell, who's trying to raise money for her Washington Rapids. Then you have Susan Vickery, who's trying to raise money for the Coombs Rapids. And they're all competing against each other because it's not just like one big donation pot that gets split three ways. It's very almost political. It's very political, it seems like it. Yeah. Here's Judith, the reporter again. It became a complete battle as to where the rabbits should go and... um, how they would actually be managed once they got there. You had people with different ideas. And, of course, that's when it spread internationally. You had to have all these rabbits spayed and muted before they went down to Texas and then trucked uh, however many miles it was down to Texas. Um, And then some went to Washington. Uh, So the whole thing just but the people that were involved were, they all had very strong personalities. I'm trying not to say everybody was a little bit nuts, but everybody was a little bit nuts about the whole thing, I think. And meanwhile, while all this bickering is happening and these rabbit activists are coming and going, taking rabbits, the university is just like really knocking down that number. So when they first started, there was around 1,500 rabbits on campus. Wow. By the end of September, they've already trapped 347 rabbits. Wow. They just keep going. And then by the end of December 2010, 700 rabbits have been caught. Wow. And by the end of January, 823 rabbits have been caught. Yeah. And then by March 1st, Tom Smith declares that the campus is rabbit-free and that there are only eight rabbits left. Yeah. So this happens, like, very quickly. They just don't stop. And you might be thinking, like, hey, what about the rabbit zones that you said were going to be a thing? Yeah. They just stopped doing that. They They announced in January of 2011 that they're going to revise the long-term plan. Well, they just realized the reproduction of rabbits and like... like... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if they realized how unpractical it was to be able to, to have four, like, rabbit zones on campus. Yeah. A female rabbit has five litters a year. Okay. And each litter can have about 12 rabbits. Yeah. So at this point, like, through from fall 2010 to spring 2011 mm-hmm. was when the main culling was happening. But at the same time, rabbit activists were taking rabbits away, right? Yeah. So, like, the 1,500 that ended up to eight was, like, a mixture of the killing and then the removal, right? Yeah. And also birds of prey. Oh. Wow. And then some rabbits didn't survive the winter. So they only actually trapped... 900 rabbits. Okay. And then the other 600 were, yeah, a mixture of, like, them doing their cull back in May of the year before, as well as, like, rabbits dying of natural causes, as well as predators. Here's Laura Lee. It ultimately was, I think, the second largest animal rescue in North America. The the new plan is just saying, 
we're switching to a rabbit-free campus, which means that we will no longer allow rabbits to be on campus. And they set a hard date. They're like, any rabbits found after February 28th, we're going to have to trap and kill. Wow. And they're just like putting their foot down. They're tired of it. They're like, no, if you bring a rabbit to campus, like it's going to die. For so long, they were trying what they called the soft approach. And now they're finally just realizing that there's no way that any soft approach would work. Because the softest thing in this whole situation are the rabbits themselves. <laughs> yeah. They just can't do it. It's not realistic. And yeah, by the middle of March, there are no more rabbits on campus. Whew. March like 15th, 2011. Yeah. Campus is rabbit free. Golly. And yeah, so at this point, there's just all these rabbits kind of in transit. If you just picture like a circle, like full of rabbits. Rabbit diaspora. And then this is kind of where the story gets crazy because. Really? Wherever these rabbits go, they're going to cause a lot of problems for whoever (laughs) tries to save them. And this is a recurring theme. It's almost like these rabbits are cursed. Yeah. They're not were rabbits though, are they? No. They're like almost worse than were rabbits. <laughs> Cuz they're smaller and more insidious, you know? Yeah, well, you just don't see them coming, honestly. They look very cute and you want to help them and then classic invasive species, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just these rabbits cause people to do crazy things. At a certain point, it stops being about the rapids and it starts being about the people who are trying to save them. On the next episode, we follow up with the rabbits and the people at their sanctuaries. But at that point, you think, oh, okay, yeah, let's move on to other things. No more rabbits. Good. <laughs> and then they came back. <laughs> okay, more rabbits. <laughs> This episode of You in the Ring was produced by Brandon McGee, with help from Amanda Watlin, Elizabeth DeVolis, and me, Andrew Hines. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thanks to all of our guests, Judith Lavoie, Sorrell Sedman, and Laura Lee Shaw. This program would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the UVic Student Award and Financial Aid Work-Study Program. If you like this podcast, tune in next week. And subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode of You in the Ring is brought to you by The Grad House. One of the best-kept secrets on campus, The Grad House is for everyone. They offer a range of house-made meals that cater to diverse dietary needs. And with weekly specials, you are sure to find something new every time you visit. Located right off the bus loop, The Grad House is a great place for lunch, dinner, or just hanging out with friends. The Grad House. You don't have to be a grad student to eat here. Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFPB's podcasts. Me, this year, I wanted to focus on interviewing and learn some of the skills associated with that. And working on the podcasts got me loads of people to interview and I got a chance to go and meet new people and practice some of those new skills that y'all helped me learn here. It was really fun going out and playing with the microphones and the sound recording equipment and experimenting with different ways of setting it all up and seeing the different results that came.
for me, that was kind of, aside from the personal personality aspect of interviewing people, which I enjoyed, was the whole technical side, which I really had a lot of fun with. And the gear at the station here was, the gear was good. And I was able to put together some interviews that I, that I was really happy with. It took some practice and some tweaking, but that was a lot of fun for me. If you like the investigative reporting you heard on this episode, you'll love You and the Ring's upcoming episode, Cold Case, UVic Edition.